you believe change is needed within the education system to ensure the well-being of teachers and young people is at its very heart, then join the Well School movement today. We are united, the biggest stakeholders in the education system. We can wait for change or we can be the change. If not now, then when? And if not you, then who? Sign up to the Well School movement at www.well-schools.org. Our community is here to help you on your journey. All our young people need you. Join us today. Hi, and welcome to episode five of the Well Schools podcast. We're your hosts, Anthony and Kay. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Kay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's show. Now, Kay, every week I say I'm excited about <laughs> the upcoming episode. And every week I listen back to it and I think that was amazing. But this week, especially, we haven't just got one inspirational guest. We've got five thought-leading inspirational guests to share with our listeners. Um, so I'm really looking forward to what they've got to say. Now, this episode is going to be almost a summation of not just the previous four episodes that, that we've released, but almost a summation of where we are in education at the moment around staff well-being and staff self-care. Yeah, uh, and I think it was really important that we started there as well. Um, you know, well schools is also really about young people well-being, but we do have to address the fact that it has never been a more challenging time for teachers. The data that we we hear from coming out from education support and as we will um, be discussing the podcast it's never been a tougher time. And unless we address those things first, we haven't got the foundation, the platform in which we can start to create wider change for the young people. We need to ensure our teacher well-being is at the absolute center and the culture is right. So then we're in a much better place to create that change. So I think it's been right. That's where we've started our podcast. And in the future, we will look to explore more young people centered avenues. But um, so important right now. Oh, absolutely. And you'll hear, listeners will hear from our guests today and you know some of our guests like Alison Peacock from the Chartered College of Teaching, uh, Patrick Otley O'Connor, head teacher of West Houghton High School in Manchester. You know, these are real thought leading inspirational people that are at the call front and and seeing this every day. And you know, you've just mentioned the education support, the teacher wellbeing index and some of the things in there around levels of stress and anxiety remain unsustainably high. A uh, consistently high percentage of staff are considering leaving the profession, and we're going to hear yeah. in this episode about not just the recruitment crisis, but almost the retention crisis as well. Yeah, and and we've been saying it a long time in in well schools. Um, we are losing really talented teachers, and not because of um they've fallen out of love with with the teaching of the young people, but because they are no longer willing to pay that price, the price that's so high on their own personal well being, um that they are feeling like they've got no other option but to leave. And don't we want the most talented teachers in front of our young people? Don't we want the most inspirational teachers, those teachers that can unlock the next generation and ensure that all of our young people go out into the world equipped and prepared to be the very best versions of themselves and make the biggest contribution? If we don't have the right teachers within the school to start with, then we're already putting them on the back foot. 100% Kay. So... Well, I think on that then, what we'll do is we'll, we'll jump into the interview. Now, yeah. listeners are going to hear a new voice this week. We're joined by Chris Wright, who's Head of Health and Wellbeing, our founding partner over at the Youth Sport Trust. And Chris is going to lead us through the panel discussion with, as I said, five inspirational guests. So hope that you'll enjoy. This week's episode is a very special panel discussion with five of the most influential thought leaders in the education sector. We're joined by Alison Peacock, Chief Executive of the Chartered College of Teaching, Emma Knights, Chief Executive of the National Governing Association, Sinead McBrady, Chief Executive of Education Support, Patrick Otley O'Connor, Head Teacher of West Houghton High School in Greater Manchester, and Claire Hudge Truman, Executive Principal of the Oasis Academy, Blake and Hale in Birmingham. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to everyone uh, for the Well School Live 
session uh, this afternoon. My name's Chris Wright. I'm Head of Wellbeing at the Youth Sport Trust. Um, the session today is going to be focusing on head teacher wellbeing and, and asking ourselves the question, um, have we missed a trick on looking after the senior leaders in our schools? I'm very pleased and honoured to be joined by, I think, a, a fantastic panel of guests who are going to contribute to today's discussions. Uh, we've got Dame Alison Peacock, who's the Chief Executive of Charter College for Teachers. We've got Emma Knights, who's the Chief Executive of the National Governors Association. Sinead McBreity, who's the Chief Executive of Education Support. Um, and really, really pleased, two of my favourite head teachers who I follow on Twitter and through the work we do as the Trust. We've got Claire Hoods Truman who's executive principal of Oasis Blakenhall Infant and Junior School in Birmingham, and Patrick Otley O'Connor at West Houghton High in Bolton. Um, we're going to dive straight into it. Um, we're going to be kicking off with, uh, with Sinead McBrearty um, and just reflecting on what's been happening for our head teachers, around our head teachers, particularly over the last 20 months, of course, but um, even previous to the pandemic. Um, and what we're seeing as a significant decline in the well-being of our head teachers, particularly over this term, we've noticed that um, many of them have been leading in the eye of a storm in a crisis, doing the very best that they can for the children and the staff that they work with in the communities that they serve. But um, you may have noticed that the Teacher Wellbeing Index was launched um, again, the, the latest report. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and just wanted Sinead just to come in and just reflect on what we've seen in that report Sinead and, and give us your points of view from how head teachers and senior leaders are feeling in in schools at the moment. Thanks Chris thanks a million for inviting us to join you um, and as you say the report's just been published and within that we've set out the last five years of data and without boring everyone witless with statistics I think that the things that really stand out very starkly for our leadership community is the extent of, of stress. Uh, that's both acute stress, but also chronic stress showing up. The number of the proportion of senior leaders that we see working over 51 hours a week. And this is in a year in which the World Health Organization has set out for us that working over 55 hours a week is a material, uh, creates material damage to your health. It significantly increases our risk of stroke and of uh, heart disease. So long hours is recognized as a, a, a significant health risk now. So seeing this in our leadership population is something that should give us pause for thought. Uh, we have more than half of school leaders feeling the need to go to school when they're not well, to go and turn up and do their job. So that's presenteeism really, sitting alongside stress. And apart from that, the things that I particularly found myself noticing in this year's index was that we still have significant barriers in the sector to people discussing mental health and stress. Uh, whether and, and largely it's because they're concerned how they'll be viewed by other people. When we talk to senior leaders about sources of stress, it's workload, work-life balance, COVID has been a, a huge issue but also where leaders are different from the rest of the workforce is they experience uh, a high degree of stress related to parental interactions. So uh, that's not such an issue for our classroom teachers or our support staff, but it has crept up on uh, the leadership agenda as a source of stress and strain. So there's something interesting for us to talk about there. And I, I know I've got some anecdotal stories that we've, we've heard Um so I think those are the things that I would flag. And of course, everybody will say, well, sure, why wouldn't it be like that? We're living through COVID. Um, just before coming to join you for this, this podcast, uh, I've been down in the primary school down the road where my kids go. And we stood in the uh, schoolyard and had a 15-minute Christmas performance of the year sixes. And I cannot tell you the sheer joy there was in that playground with people being able to be in community to see our kids performing their last time in primary school and I feel very lucky because I know for lots of schools that's not been possible but apart from the performance the sense of being in community just brings everybody obviously physically closer but I think it goes beyond the physicality and one of the uh, that's one of the very strange things we've seen in this COVID period is that disconnect 
But in case anyone thinks that the, 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 the issues I'm talking about around stress, around presenteeism, around stigma, are only a result of COVID, I can tell you categorically from the research that they're not. This is building on a, a, an existing, very high level of stress and strain in the profession, uh, compromising um, all sorts of things, you know, the health of the individuals involved, and, and I think also the, the learning and well-being outcomes for children and young people. Absolutely. Can, I just want to revisit that point about parents, Sinead. Um, I, I, I follow many, many head teachers, um, fantastic professionals on, on Twitter, and I'm almost getting the impression that they're feeling a little bit undervalued. They've all gone the extra mile in their community over the, particularly over the last 20 months, you know, whether it's food parcels, safeguarding, are you getting any of that sort of feedback through the work that you're doing with with the wellbeing index? We, I think, through through all our work, we we were aware of it. But I think one of the things to flag is that the vast majority of parents are still really impressed by the staff working in schools. They really do value them. They recognise it, and in in not in our survey, but in other surveys, we see that parents are really acutely aware of what the education profession does. They see it, and they've understood it through lockdown in in a very different way. I think what is true is when this, you know, when I talked and thinking about a, a, some some head teachers I spoke to in rugby a couple of weeks ago, um, there is a cohort of parents who have been part of this great inequality that has not just suddenly emerged through COVID, but has been revealed through COVID, who are even further removed from the rest of the community now than they were at the start, and who themselves oftentimes are struggling with mental health, Mm. uh, among other things. And in that part of the community, I think there's a lot of hopelessness and despair. And a lot of that ends up in school. A A lot of that ends up ultimately coming to the head teacher and, you know, whether it's directly or indirectly, in the relationships between parents and the school. I think that's where I'm hearing about a kind of erosion, but I wouldn't want to lose the fact that the very vast majority think teachers and schools are brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I just just what quickly wanted to come to Claire, if I can. Um, I've spent some time at Oasis Blake and Hale, and it is in one of those communities, I think, Claire, where you know parents are struggling themselves. Is that a fair reflection of some of the pressures you felt back in school? Definitely, 100%. Um, uh, we've we've had to do a lot of work during the last 20 months in particular around uh, mental health um, in terms of not just adults within school, but also spreading it out within the community and our parents. Um, so much so because um, there isn't that external support and agencies out there to be able to support our parents. So we've invested a lot of time and training in myself and the leadership team and the rest of the staff to be able to set up our own triage system in school and to be able to support parents and and the community so that we can then support the children when they're coming back into school after holidays or weekends. It's been a, it has been a real, real struggle. It was before, but it's been manifested over the last 20 plus months. Yeah. Alison, I wanted you to come in here just to reflection from, I suppose, from a policy perspective, but also reflection of your members. Yeah, so I I just wanted to say that actually, in fact, I sent a tweet about this this morning, and the teachers and school leaders are seen as people in authority within our communities. And as such, they are respected. But also, because they're, they're seen as people in authority, they're expected to have solutions. And so parents, very often frustrated by things beyond the school, will find something about the school to come in and complain about. And actually, the real root of the complaint is to do exactly as we've just heard with wider impacts of COVID, with issues around poverty or housing or relationship breakdown. And and all of that anger comes through because who else do you go and speak to? You know, in the school, in those positions of authority, you can't go and speak to a doctor. You can't get a doctor's appointment for love or money. Unless you've got faith, you, you wouldn't be able to go to, to a church. Who do you go and talk to? Well, particularly in the primary sector, you go to your school. And I think this is why we're bearing such a brunt of so many concerns across so many layers of society. And it's not that people don't appreciate teachers, because I absolutely agree that they do. 
it's almost because they appreciate teachers they think they can answer everything and sort it all out and and also that they can deal with the level of abuse whether it's email whether it's phone call whether it's face-to-face meeting it's almost as if you're going to be impervious to this because you're a professional and you can deal with it and I just need to tell you indeed Patrick I just want to come to you quickly because I've, I've been interested in your narrative again over Twitter about head teacher to head teacher sort of budding in support I mean is this the sort of um, experiences that you've been facing in Bolton particularly given some of the data that Sinead's been sharing there well the, the statistics um, people I've spoken to myself I've, on the back of these statistics I've done my own Twitter polls and thousands have responded and so on on the back of those and the figures are sometimes even more stark from the people that you speak to there and it's the individual cases that you then hear that really, really do resonate. So these stats have got a whole house behind them. I am encouraged by one particular stat, which is an appalling stat, but that's 77% of education staff experience symptoms of poor mental health due to work. Now, I'm encouraged by that because people are expressing that vulnerability and sharing that vulnerability. Maybe I'm going back now to 2015, and I used to talk about school wellbeing and mental health. I was quite often criticised for talking about mental health because of the negative stigma attached to it. And even though there's still stigma attached, I think we're getting better at talking to that. But the response has, has been from organisations such as yourselves and other organisations that come up. So I'm proud to be part of an organisation called Heads Up, for example. Uh, Heads Up, I know they've been talking to the NJN and to Chartered mm-hmm. College as well. And, and we, we set up just over two years ago, just prior to pandemic, really, with a few heads who came to see me in Liverpool, including James Pope, who's taking to run with it now. Uh, around what can we do for those, particularly those leaders who are dropping, falling or being pushed off that leadership cliff. So this is not just the last 20 months. This has been a number of years coming if we're thinking of teachers in particular. And I see that peer-to-peer support has been crucial during this time. We're all, we're all caring people. We enter a caring profession. We're quite selfless with our time. And that's why quite often if you're talking Twitter, you'll see the other picture I put out that says, Look after yourself first before helping others so we can make the biggest difference for our children. And actually encouraging getting people to actually look after themselves when quite often feels things feel like the structure and the fabric is falling down around them, as, as Alison said, uh, in society. It's, it's that peer support, peer support has not only kept us going, but allowed schools actually to thrive on fumes. Uh, so uh, some schools are surviving, but some schools are thriving, but on fumes. The, the, the profession, teaching and support staff, and I must include support staff in that as well, uh, are, are, are on the knees. Yeah, just picking up on that caring element, Patrick, um, we obviously have uh, Association of School and College Leaders also on our advisory panel, and they were sharing some insights through their tellers inbox, which is anonymous, but they just gather information and they were saying that those caring head teachers that wanted that were up for retirement in the summer but wanted to see this through with their schools are now at that tipping point where we could be losing head teachers in their droves come Christmas what's your what's your reflection Uh, there well I'm afraid I'm part of that statistic my my, I was planning to retire um, 18 months ago and haven't but I will go this summer. That's my planned retirement. I will be going. Now, I'm going to be in education in some respect, I think, carrying on. But you've got those people who are coming to that natural end. But I, I am I am hearing, uh, sadly, uh, many people who are deciding that's enough. I'm, mm. I'm, 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 I'm leaving. And I, again, through Heads Up and, and just myself as well, I support many heads who are at that stage. But equally, many of those new heads are in the first 100 days of headship how we are looking after them right now as well. And again, provide quite a lot of support along with other organisations for leading that position. I am hopeful. I, I am hopeful there's some great talent coming through. We just don't systematically look after it well enough. Yeah. So we've not, yeah. we, it's, it's talent development, talent support. It's not just about recruitment. It's about retention and retaining, as you quite rightly as you said, what, what we've got. Indeed. Um, I just want to bring you in, Emma, there in terms of the support. So, one of the things that I've been um, noticing quite heavily just through my own children's school here and, and colleagues of mine who sit on governing boards is that support network around head teachers sometimes isn't there. But some of the great work you've been doing at the NGA, what, what are you seeing from your chairs of governors in terms of 
how they're, you know, how they're trying to support head teachers and some of the challenges that they're facing. Thank you, uh, Chris. Uh, and what Patrick was just saying is exactly that all the issues that the governing boards are hearing about and concerned about, and clearly they're concerned um, uh, on a both on a personal level and on a, a professional level about the well-being of leaders, but also there's a little bit of self-interest in there as well because of that whole retention point, because of the last thing governing boards want to find themselves doing is having to sort of prematurely uh, recruit um, uh, a leader. Leader. That's probably one of the most important, if not in some cases, the most important decision a governing board will ever take. Who do they employ as their, as, as their next leader? So there's so many reasons why boards are um, really genuinely um, interested in making sure that um, head teachers or in trusts, um, chief executives are, um, are able to continue doing, doing that job, but in a way that's reasonable and uh, contributes to their own well-being and, and work-life balance. So just one piece of research that I like to put because it's not NGA, um, so it's, it can't be a case of, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? The department um, uh, uh, used uh, NFER to do some research on governance last year, and they asked um, a large sample of head teachers about their views of governing boards, and 90% of heads said they felt, and CEOs actually, um, felt supported by their governing boards. So 90%, okay, I'm not complaining. And that means 10% didn't feel supported. Uh, but actually, that was a higher percentage than I thought might, might be the case. Um, so it's the number, our own quantitative survey shows that, that this is the second most important issue to boards. The first, by the way, being pupil well-being. So that's very relevant to your well schools uh, project. The first two are absolutely about, about well-being. And that's a change compared to a few, few years ago. Money was always at the top of the list. Now people are, which in a way is a, is, 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 is a good priority to, to see. So there's a huge amount of concern concern out there. However, not everybody on a board knows how to, to, to deal with this best or, or in a way that makes a, a real difference. So that's, you know, it's great to have a podcast like this because we can really talk about the, the issues from a number of perspectives. Some and chairs, you're absolutely right, chairs of boards are the key people because they will have that one-to-one -one conversation, that one-to-one -one relationship uh, with, with the head. And hopefully there will be a culture there that enables the head to be open and honest with their chair. But we know that's not always the case. Some people feel that that chair might be judging them in terms of their ability to, to do the, the job. So that's really important that those conversations are done in a way that that people feel able to be open and honest and that goes back to what we were just saying about the way we have conversations about about mental health and um and well-being um and but there are other um uh, chairs who know this is an issue but don't quite know how to start those conversations in a way that will be positive but will be seen to be the right thing as opposed to be querying somebody's ability to um uh to lead so that that's probably i'm sure we'll go on and look at some of the su su suggestions that's probably enough from from me for now <laughs> no no it's brilliant emma and, and a lovely segue actually and picks up on patrick's point about stigma doesn't it um there's there's something there about um the unique culture that needs to be created in a well school and that's certainly what the what the movement and the community of practice is trying to achieve we can't take these things forward in isolation um I suppose just, again, just going back to Claire and Patrick, any sort of reflections on what you're seeing day to day in how poor head teacher well-being sort of affecting the culture of the school or, or indeed having a negative impact on the children themselves? For, for me, if I come in first there, two, two points to pick up on Emma's point there. The, the governing body doing what they're doing exactly, in my experience, is when you've got a governing body that is able to provide that support, that, that's a wonderful measure for the uh, teacher. But I would always go one step further, and that is that if if uh, governing bodies also can manage an independent external coach, that can be peer-to-peer, -peer, not necessarily paid for, but within a facilitated uh, setup, to, to provide a critical friend where we 
that can talk openly to coach through their own uh, their own issues they're dealing with as well, so that they can engage in a better way with the governing body as well. So coaching, I think, sitting alongside great governance can be really, really quite powerful. Uh, I think in terms of uh, head teachers, the focus of head teachers on staying true to their values-based vision, it's been really difficult for some people during COVID to keep it there. I've, 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 many leaders I've spoken to who've managed to keep hold of that as their anchor and create a culture of care around that as they've gone forward have, have felt uh, less sinking because they've been true to where they are rather than we, we, we have an announcement every Thursday or Friday before a Monday to implement it seems and that is incredibly wearing when people are in isolation and uh, for the five ways of well-being that the NHS talk about and Teacher Five a Day talk about in fact staying connected and being connected with peers uh, really avoids that or being connected through that, that strong link through governance we've talked about can really avoid the isolation that can, can really bring a head down, teacher down quickly. And that, that, that creation of a culture of care that then permeates every single level within a school and organisation from the head teacher through to senior leaders, through to middle and teacher support staff to students is where it goes. And, and it's a way you'll also, sound bites from me, I'm afraid, but you hear me describe myself as being a wellbeing supermodel. It's a tongue-in-cheek phrase, but if we're, if we're really true about making sure well-being runs through our schools like a stick of rock and that approach to mental health, it should be modelled by the head teacher first and foremost, not in just what they say, but in the behaviours they use. Brilliant. Thanks, Patrick. It's great reflections there, and it's certainly not sound bites. It's solid and, um, yeah, and very insightful advice, so thank you for that. Um, Claire, did you just want to come in quickly there? Yeah, it was just really just to, to pick up on what Patrick said and about that well-being. And I think I'm, I'm quite fortunate in the culture that we've built across my, my two academies and with uh, the fact that I belong to quite a big mat as well. And we've got, you know, lots of other schools within our region. So we have been able to have that kind of external support um, with each other because the pressure around COVID and policy and protocol and, and that, that demand of keeping everybody safe, the staff, the children, the community, um, that's a lot of pressure. And it's a pressure that you can't plan for and you can't foresee because you are literally dealing with things as and when they come and making quite you know quite difficult decisions um on the foot so i think because we've got that that care and it does permeate um as, as you well know we say that you know it's the dna of what blake and hale is about and we have that so we've had the kind of top-down care and support but also all the way through right from support staff um site staff you know um other people that work with us we've had that support during this time but it, it still remains tough but I think we've put the well-being before anything else um, we did not put um, the academic side of things first because we've always been about well-being and I don't care what anybody else says that was the most important thing and that's that is that is me being true to myself as a leader and I always have been that well-being comes first and everything else comes after that. Brilliant. And my favourite quote from a previous podcast, actually, was from uh, Jeremy Hanay at Three Bridges. And he said, well-being is the work. Um, it's, you know, it's not something that we, that we bolt on the side and, and hope to takes effect. I um, just want to come back to Sinead and to Alison then, because for Well Schools, it's, it's a school-led community. It's about schools sharing with other schools. And it's also about, I, I hope... Um, looking forwards and thinking about the positive action and the things that we can put in place to change things for the better. So sort of on this question, so how do we break this cycle? Sinead, you've already articulated with, you know, this has been a five-year, um, I wouldn't say journey, but, it, you know, it's, it's been a trend over the last five years. It hasn't just happened because of COVID. Um, and we are in a bit of a crisis at the moment around the well-being of our senior leadership teams. What do we do to break that cycle? Sinead, can we come to you first? Yeah, I think the um, I think the five years, Chris, is the data set that we have in the detail that we have it. You know, these tomes that we produce each year. But actually, I think the I think the issues here are are longer standing than five years. The the making of these goes back some way before that. Um, but in terms of what what's the starting point? Where do, how do we break the cycle? I think any starting point, to be honest, is a good one. There are lots of different ways that you can approach it. Um, and I think for, for everyone working in the sector, you know, Patrick's made the point about you have to look after yourself. And I think that is the first thing for every individual. 
to 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 attend to that. There is a you know, I encounter a lot the belief that in some way looking after myself is taking away from the kids I serve. And it's you know, it's a it's a false equation uh, that does nobody any good. And I think recognizing and owning the fact that it's actually an act of professionalism to look after yourself and to be able to turn up in the best shape you can turn up in is is, is something we, we need to do more to uh, let people know that and let them know they don't have to feel bad about looking after themselves, which I think you know too many still do, frankly. Um, uh, so I think th- that's a really important point. And then, and then really it's all about the school and the community. The idea that you, there, it's very easy to attend to all the stuff that's broken in our politics, in our education system, in the wider world, and it's very all-consuming if you if you you know allow your attention to be there. And I think in our school communities, you've heard Claire describing her view there of you know, the well-being comes first. There are a lot of schools that have that perspective, but they stay quite quiet about it. And I understand why, because it's countercultural in some ways to what's going on in the sector. But doing that and having that heart and feeling that you can confidently put well-being first in your own school environment. And there are exam- great examples of others who have done it to great success and that everything else follows from that. I think, you know, this is where turning into the community, finding support from within and, and locally changing practice is so important and so impactful. Brilliant. Thank you. And Alison, I just want to come to you straight on that point, because I think sometimes that's the narrative, isn't it, that by doing well-being, we are abandoning what we are accountable for in terms of education and achievement. What, what would you respond to on that? Well, I'd say the opposite is true. I would say caring and loving your community is at the heart of everything. I think there are some systemic factors that impact on teacher well-being, head teacher well-being. I've spoken out recently about um, offset inspections. Um, I, I think, you know, it would be remiss me not to say something here. I feel as if there's a, a lack of alignment with the inspectorate and the ways in which school leaders are feeling and are coping with a very challenging situation at the moment. I think we need much greater empathy, compassion, and we need a, a, an inspectorate that Okay, there are a few schools that need to be sorted out, but they're very much in the minority at the minute. We're all being told off as if we're all <laughs> we're all on the naughty step. So I think we need uh, we need a culture shift there. I also think there's um, something about the way in which, and it kind of links to this presenteeism that Sinead was talking about, is this idea that um, to be a good teacher, you have to kind of gold plate everything. You have to have done everything, triple marked it and done beautiful displays and all the rest of it. I've just reviewed a book uh, called Fast Feedback. And this book is all about how a school went from um, marking with purple pens and green finishing and all the rest of it to completely abandoning marking and not putting any written work, any teacher writing in children's books and went to a system where they were providing um, Uh, collaborative feedback to small groups, whole group feedback, you know, in a way that really helped the children to move their learning forward. But that didn't mean that the teacher was having to carry a suitcase home every weekend or a suitcase of guilt, you know, even if they never opened the suitcase. And I've been there, you know, dragged the suitcase back in again on Monday because it's just I just haven't been able to get there. The idea that um, to be able to provide conferencing for children and give them really important verbal feedback around clear success criteria, as opposed to putting loads of marks all over books. These are the kinds of things that I think the Charter College can help with, you know, to really sort of bring the, the conversation a little bit into the 21st century about what do we need to do to make the job manageable. So some systemic issues as well that really do impact on well-being, I think. Brilliant. Thank you, Alison. Um, again, I'm just going to come back to you, Patrick, if I can, because you spoke at the start about, of course, those systemic things that Alison's referenced there and Sinead's referenced. You know, a lot of this is about uh, culture change in, in schools, but also culture change in the system and, and potentially um, changes in, in policy. As much as I love your recipe of the day, um, are there any sort of practical things that have really worked for you over the last few months that you've you've adopted and and kept close to your your working practices well last few months we, we live by our values and one of the first things that 
just to be clear on my, this is my 18th year as a head teacher, but for the last eight years, I've gone into schools that may have been in a, a spot of trouble, either with special measures or, or leadership instability or whatever else. And always gone in the first slide I've shown has been a, sh- a slide of my family uh, showing my, where priorities lie for me as well. And the phrase that look after yourself first before helping others so we can make the biggest difference for children. I've said that already, that oxygen mask analogy, and then using our values-based vision to create that culture of care. So I started this school, I'm in at the moment, during the pandemic uh, last September, mm-hmm. a school that was having some issues. We've just had an Ofsted inspection. The report has just, I've just got the draft. We're just about to publish it next. Uh, we don't break up until next Wednesday, but likely next week. And we're all smiling. I, I, that was my 21st inspection. And actually the, our approach to well-being is not, well-being isn't a soft word for me. It's not a soft option in terms of how you're going to school. It's about looking at the policies and make sure they work. Some of the things that Alison was saying just then, making sure that we're systematic in our approach to what we do and we steal the agenda. For for Ofsted, I've, I've used this approach in Ofsteds and it's never been frowned upon because the knock-on effects are always there. In fact, one of the proudest quotes I've ever had from Ofsted is that it said that leaders have been uh, liberated from bureaucratic tasks and teachers have been freed to teach. And we came out of special measures on the back of that without new results and new data. It's where it goes. Well, in the last few months during COVID, we've just applied the same process. What are our values? How can we make a difference for these children and families? As it was said earlier on, in fact, by Claire, about it's about well-being. It's what we do during this piece of time. During lockdowns, we used that repurposed our school minibus. And that made the national headlines, in fact, not in a good way, but then in a good way. We, we filled it full of stationery. We emptied our stationery cupboards because after Christmas, people said they'd run out of paper and pens. And we started supplying our children, but also the local children. We put all the sanitary projects in there and personal hygiene. We became a food bank. It became a, we did those things. That was driven by my, quite literally driven, by my uh, support staff and supported by the teachers. What we do, the community comes around. So I think everything we've done, how we respond, it's the staff are responding because we're based on our values. And, and people are tireless in what they do and work and, 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 and selfless in what they do. You've just got to make sure that everybody keeps their own oxygen mask on and we look after ourselves and we look after each other. So what I would say is creating a culture where it's acceptable and celebrated to look after yourself. We, we do that on a weekly basis. We have a wellbeing briefing where we have our, I'll not bore you with the details, but our wellbeing star of the week every week on a variety of things. 100 plus nominations for staff by staff and the ways that small and large ways that people are making a difference for each other. So we talk openly about those issues. Any school I go to, uh, occupational health referrals and, and counselling can increase as well because people will talk, they'll open up. That, that has really rocketed during, during COVID, but we, we do what we do to make a difference for our, for our staff. And actually by prioritising the staff, the staff are then free to really focus on the children and make a difference. So I, I think for me, it's as a leader, it's keeping our focus really on the values and living our values and, and standing by it and not being frightened of the criticism that may come from things where there is that misalignment, uh, misalignment that's been talked about by Alison. That shouldn't stop us in terms of what we do. We should, we should do what's right for our schools and be true to our values. I suppose what's great, Patrick, is you're basically being able to demonstrate the significant impact of taking care of yourself and staff by the results that come out of the, the back end of it, which just yeah. goes to further cement the uh, the concept and, and where we need to be going with this. Claire, just go on, sorry, Patrick. I'll just say there is one large multi-academy trust that interviewed me just about three weeks ago just, and, and have now want me to do some work with them. H- how does it work? How does putting well-being improve results? They really wanted to know because they're wanting to create that culture within their schools, and it's not there. Mm. So, people, there is a, you know, there is a, there is a, a, a thirst for it, a hunger for it. But again, until it becomes systematic and built into what we do and how we treat ourselves, we're never going to change. Yeah. So, some systemic change is needed. I think it's really important just to note there for for listeners, Patrick, that. What, what we're talking about here is an education strategy. We're not talking about putting health interventions in schools and we're not talking about doing the fluffy stuff as much. I keep using this anecdote, but it's not about putting a yoga class on and, and an ironing service for those uh, colleagues that haven't got time. It's, 
it's those things that are within a school's gift and the things that are intrinsic to what a school can do and how it operates um, and real tangible things that make a difference to the well-being of teachers. It's not only really to the well-being of teachers, well-being is the outcome, isn't it? It's more the things that make a difference to their experience of teaching at school and enabling them to be the best versions of themselves, then the well-being, the job satisfaction and the, the sense of belonging come from that, don't they? Um, it's just a really important distinction that you've, that you've made there. Um, Claire, just coming back to you, I'm just going to just press you on one little thing, if I may, because obviously this is uh, the eSport Trust are a partner in, in Wells Schools and we have a vested interest in PE and sport. But you, I just wondered what impact you've seen from your role modelling with the rest of the staff around them being involved in being active with the children and whether you've seen the tangible benefits of that, because I know it's something that's, that's intrinsic to your school, isn't it? Yeah, we, we didn't stop through the whole um, of the lockdown period because physical well-being is, is, you know, it's our USP, if you like. So my children would have gone absolutely nuts if we hadn't, if we'd have stopped it because it's part of, of who they are. It's part of what they love and it's part of the, the growth that came with turning the two schools around um, and gave them that, that, that positive mindset about themselves. So um we kept it going for the last 20 months when we've involved the staff within that, um, whether that's been through remote learning around physical well-being and keeping active. Um, and in terms of supporting the well-being of my staff, I mean, we, uh, similarly to what Patrick was saying, we have a, a well-being Wednesday and that we, we maintained that during uh, the whole of the lockdown period where, you know, we did working out together. We've got a gym for the staff in school so that they can, you know, they can, can continue and, and keep in that routine. And it's investing in them um, because we care and we want them to be happy and healthy too. Um, and we, we managed to get the community involved as well through our, through our you know, our programme of physical well-being through, through our remote learning and the fact that all the children have got iPads so they can access it. Um, so it's, it's something that is naturally intrinsic to, to who we are and obviously with physical well-being comes mental well-being and, and feeling great about yourself so um yeah we, we managed to maintain it and it was something that there was no way we were ever going to let that drop for the last 20 months and actually the children have come back physically um, not where they were 20 months ago, but with that same positive attitude, that same drive, that same positive growth mindset and that that drive and willingness to, to want to keep to the routine that we've had before, because that's what they know and that's what they love and that's what they've had success with. And that ha- enables them to be able to access English and maths and science and all the other subjects, because that's what they love and they do every single day for many, many hours. <laughs> Brilliant. We just, we just need a, <clears throat> a few more thousand schools like Oasis Blake and how well sounds with Claire, which I'm sure we've got, but um, maybe we just need to unearth them and, and let, they can come and join the club. Um, Emma, I'm just going to come to you if I can, um, because I want to just revisit this bit about uh, about governors. I'm sure there are many people that are listening or who will be listening who are governors or who are engaged with their governing bodies. And and just some of those practical steps that we can take. Um, A couple of top tips from from the NGA, if we can. Thanks, Chris. I also wanted to build though on what both Claire and Patrick were saying about um, it really struck me. Claire, I think you you made that point about confidence. And I think here we've got, you know, two phenomenally confident um, uh, people who've, who've really invested in this. And I think my worry is about those schools and trusts where that hasn't been the case and how do we sort of spread the message and, and, and the practice um, to them. And you really reminded me of, I was reading about resilience in the NHS recently, because of course, like schools, they've been absolutely um, up against it. And they, they've isolated four things that they thought were really important for leadership resilience. One of them was like staying true to the mission and really which plays to what Patrick's been been talking about as about values. 
One was about adaptability. And I think somebody talked earlier, I think it was Sinead, about the problem solving that leaders have had to do over the, particularly over the COVID period. Although I take your point, Sinead, that it's long, long before that as well, that leaders have found themselves, not just, we talked about parents earlier, but obviously there's been a lot of need from, from staff and from pupils themselves um, uh, too. So they've sort of been at this fulcrum of everybody saying, hang on, I've got these, these needs. And that's why sometimes the leader's own needs get get um, uh, uh, submerged. But the third one was was about confidence. And I think we don't always see confidence in all our our leaders um, uh, across the piece in the schools sector. And I think that's where governing boards have got a real role to play because they need to be saying, actually, this is not only right and proper, but we positively want you to be leading in this fashion. So, so how do you sort of weave that into your, your organization? And, and Patrick was so right talking about building the culture on your values. But there's then two, two things, two pillars that go together, sort of culture and strategy, and they've got to work hand in hand. And one way of really giving leaders confidence that actually the governing board is with them, and this needs to be a sort of both top down and bottom up um, uh, culture is actually when you're reviewing your strategy and looking at, so what are our four or five priorities for the coming year that people really get talked about that whole sort of people plan that we're talking about I'm so pleased much much more across the the school sector than than we used to and that a big part of that is is well-being so edgy we try not to tell governing boards what they ought to put in their strategies but we're so near it this year on that whole issue of valuing your your people so that's my big big picture thing you've you've got to make sure it's in those overriding um discussions but then how do you do it on a more sort of day-to-day um uh level it's that whole um sort of philosophy of making sure you're sort of checking in with leaders but not checking up um on that so the way and the tone that you have those conversations but really we're saying to to people just keep showing your commitment and then communicating in every which way, because I think it was Sinead, you said there's so many different ways in, whether that's the chairs, regular conversations with the heads, whether it's sort of more formal. We don't like using the word performance management because we think that phrase gives the wrong impression. But CPD and well-being needs to be part of of that um, uh, conversation. And I completely agree, by the way, Patrick, with what you were saying earlier about coaches and depending where the head is in their sort of um, how experienced are they, new heads and induction, um, you might want a mentor as well in the first stage rather than a coach or, or as, as well. But your point about peer, peer networks, it's so important. So that's one of the things we're saying to chairs. Have you positively made that offer to your head? And, and if not, uh, why not? But hopefully in a way that, again, looks supportive and doesn't look like you're telling them off because they haven't already got, got, um, uh, got, got a mentor. So that's, um, uh, those are some of the issues. And another one we haven't touched upon, but I think is probably important, is also around creating a culture where flexible working is part of those discussions. And again, that should be for everyone, shouldn't it? But sometimes we find schools where they're beginning to talk about flexible working. And in some cases, lots and lots of part-time members of staff. But when we look at leadership, then it's like, oh, I'm not sure we could do that for our leaders. Well, I'm a former job share chief executive I know you can do it for leadership so NJ we're on a bit of a mission to say that's not the answer for everybody you know that doesn't suit suit everyone but make sure you have that conversation as part of the what might be what might be helpful brilliant thank you Emma as always um practical and uh and inspirational just taking us forward there um we're going to um sort of wrap it up now and um I'm not going to break out into Mariah Carey but um, she did sing a famous song called All I Want for Christmas so I'm going to grant you all a Christmas wish uh, and we're just going to go around the the group what's the what's the one bit of change what's the one different thing Uh, what's the what's your one wish for Christmas for the head teachers 
in this country, or in fact across the UK, because Well Schools is covering all of our colleagues in the home countries. What's the one thing that you'd like to change um, that's going to propel the profession, our head teachers, our schools um, in a positive direction from January? And we're, we're going to try and ignore the fact that we're probably going to be in some other sort of lockdown situation going on. So let's think. Uh, Let's think uh, positively. Sinead, can we come to you first? Yeah, I, I guess it's around, you know, the opposite of working isn't not working. You can be not working and your head can be full of it. So I think for me, it would be that our leaders allow themselves to become absorbed and immersed in something that isn't work, because that's where genuine rest and recovery happens. Brilliant. What great advice. Patrick? Yeah, similar thing. Similar theme, I suppose. I hope everyone wakes up on Christmas morning and got a sack full of self-love and self-care where everyone can suddenly see their own well-being reality and own it and own their own well-being. Have some magical toolkit to solve those issues they've got or even use some support through their chair of governors or a coach to find or a peer to support it and actually do something about it. And from that, be that supermodel and cascade it throughout the organisation, leading from the top as a supermodel. Thanks, Patrick. On toolkits, there's plenty of those in the well school community and, of course, with education support, NGA and Charter College. Claire? I, well, I, similarly to everybody else, I would say it would be, I would hope that every head around the country just takes that time for that reflection over this period and know that they've done an absolutely fantastic job and that they they get that rest, relaxation and recuperation to know that they will continue to fight the cause and do what is fundamentally right, um, which is love and care for their communities and their children and look out for their staff. Um, but I just hope they take that time to have that rest. Brilliant. Thank you. Emma? I think we're all saying the version of the same thing, aren't we? I was going to say a proper holiday. Uh, but that proper holiday then arriving back in terms of feeling confident and actually also feeling confident to have that conversation with their chair of governors so if the chair of governors are listening please do start that conversation with your heads if you haven't done brilliant and by no means least Alison so (laughs) I'd like something systemic I would like all the journalists in the land to wake up on Christmas morning with a positive kind of image in their minds of teachers that they have worked with, that they have loved, they've been inspired by. I would love our mass media to get behind the teaching profession fully with good heart so that we can all work together. Absolutely brilliant. Um, It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure talking to you this afternoon. I just think with the professionals that we've got on this uh, podcast this afternoon, with the growing school uh, community that we've got in well schools and indeed across much of our sector um, I do believe that those things that you've wished for will happen they might not happen on Christmas day Patrick Um, it might take a little bit longer but I'm absolutely uh, committed with you to making that change happen Um, for those of you who have been able to join us on this podcast um, we hope that you've enjoyed the listen and we hope that you found it useful. Um, you'll find some excellent resources, signposts through our Twitter handle at well underscore schools uh, when we share the podcast in the next few days. And you'll also find some amazing resources that these uh, colleagues and other schools have already shared in our Well School community at www.well-school.org. I wish you all a fantastic festive period. I hope you all get the break that you all deserve. And yeah, we'll come back kicking and screaming into 2022. Okay, another amazing interview, another amazing panel discussion and such a strong lineup and it's quite rare. It's quite rare that you'd get five people of that stature in the same place at the same time talking about such an important issue as, as staff well-being and, and school culture. And for me, it's it's a great roundup of not just this series of podcasts, but almost where we are in education at the moment in terms of where we find ourselves 
around teacher well-being, around pupil well-being. And I think that Patrick really summed it up when he said that education is the caring profession. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've worked with a lot of teachers. I'm married to a teacher that, you know, worked, spent a lot of time working in schools and now working really closely alongside teachers. And I definitely think it's a calling. I think it's the type of profession that some other people can't possibly understand why it is you would want to do that. Then the thought of being challenged every single day by a group of lively and opinionated young people, for some people would have them running for the hills. But um, for so many teachers, that is the exact reason they go into it. It's not uh, something that they choose. It's something that chooses them almost. Um, and part of that is that desire to nurture, that desire to support and that desire to see um, un- see people unlock and unlock things inside of other people. So, yeah, I definitely think that caring would be a characteristic. If we personality typed all teachers, definitely think that there would be a really high preference to uh, to being caring. And I, and I think what all the panellists were saying as well is that there is, there is still this stigma around, especially around teachers, almost feeling like they can't put themselves first or they can't look after themselves. It's about... It's about their students or it's about everything else other than themselves. And I know that Sinead McBrady said that to look after yourself is actually an act of professionalism. It's showing that I'm looking after myself so that I can look after my students and I can look after my community. And that really, really resonated with me. That, And I hope that people who are listening, who are, who are based in schools or working in schools, really take that to heart and think, this is part of my job. And it reminds me of what Jeremy Hene said, I think, in episode mm-hmm. three, where well-being has to be the work itself yeah there's there's something humanistic in that though isn't there there is something you know I'm a parent and as a parent I instinctively always put my children first you know there there is something built into us as human beings that prioritizes the young our young or in the case of a teacher the young people they're in front of so it's a very difficult situation you're trying to overcome nature to say I'm going to prioritise myself when in everything else you're doing in your whole career, it's about putting the young person first, prioritising that young person. So it's easy to say, but it's it's a really big challenge to ask a teacher to do it. And we have to acknowledge that fact that it's almost fighting human nature to do it. But so incredibly important um, and to stop viewing it as um, putting yourself above a young person, because ultimately, by getting yourself into a position of being well, if you are well in yourself, you're A, at school, you're able to, to stand in front of a class and, and be there and be present. But if we're well with the very best versions of ourselves, if we're well, we're the most likely to be able to inspire. If we're well, we're most likely to be able to bring things to life. So actually, if we could play into that human um, uh, desire of wanting to put the young person first, putting yourself first does still deliver putting that young person first. I think it's just part of the culture and part of the um, way we are as humans, but especially see it in education around not prioritising our own well-being and thinking of others before we think of ourselves and feeling like that's almost selfish to do the things you know are going to make you you well. And we have to start talking more openly that that isn't just the right thing to do. It's critical that that's what we do. Absolutely, Kay. And... I think that's a perfect way to to end this episode, to to end this series. And and I hope that anyone listening takes this into themselves and thinks, right, okay, I'm going to make a change in the new year. And I'm not just going to help others, but I'm going to also help myself. And I'm going to look after myself. Because as you said then, to be the best version of yourself, you, you you need to sometimes put yourself first. So sort of in ending this series and this episode I think if people want to go back and listen to previous episodes I'd really recommend them to go back I'd encourage people to to like or subscribe or even share this podcast with people that they know and people that 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 might be sort of in a position where they're looking to to embed some of the learnings that we've we've taken from this podcast but finally for me I would just like to say thank you to Kay obviously for 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 for, for some fantastic interviews this this series and I'd like to say a Merry Christmas and a peaceful New Year to every listener. And we'll no see carols. you. carols. Um, we're not finishing with a carol? No? Okay. Maybe maybe, maybe in the New Year. Maybe yeah, in the okay. New Year. That's a but, promise. <laughs> that's a promise. But I'd like to say it's been fantastic and it's been a, it's been a real pleasure to and a real privilege to, 
to listen to our guests and to to take some of the learnings into 2022 because we know it's probably going to be another tough year but I think that all of us at Well Schools are here to try and help as many schools as we can to as you've said in the past Kate catch everyone and, and make sure that people feel supported and that they feel that they've got a community to go to so Merry Christmas Kate. Merry Christmas Anne. Thanks for listening and we hope you found this episode useful. We'd like to thank our partners, Bupa Foundation and the Youth Sport Trust who have been with us since the start of this journey and have some really powerful tools and practical ways to support an improved culture of well-being in your school. You can find out more at bupafoundation.org or at bupafoundation over on Twitter and youthsporttrust.org or at youthsporttrust over on Twitter. If you'd like to find out more about our special guest this week, you can find out more information at educationsupport.org.uk chartered.college or nga.org.uk Finally, if you'd like to register completely free as a well school and join the movement for change then head to www.well-school.org and sign up today. You can also find us at well underscore schools over on Twitter. <laughs>